it's wonderful to be here with you today, uh, as always. Um, what a great privilege. It's an unspeakable privilege, of course, to be among God's people, uh, gathered for the purpose of worshiping God and looking together into the Word of God. What a there is no greater privilege, and uh, it's a wonderful time. Uh, I make it my practice, and I think we all do, before we look into the Scripture, we always begin with prayer, because this is the Word of God. It's the inerrant Word of God. He has spoken to us. There's no other book like this uh, in the world. There are lots of books in the world, but there's not one like this, because this is the book of God. This is God's Word to His people. So, let's begin with a, uh, let's begin with a prayer. Our Father, we thank You for the privilege of being here. We thank you that you have provided this place, this beautiful place for us to gather. I thank you for every person here that you have seen fit to bring here. Prepare all of our hearts, Lord, as we look into your word and we ask that you would speak to us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> all right, today I, uh, I thought I would speak to you about the glory of God. And the glory of God, we talk about the glory of God, we sing about the glory of God, uh, we have all sorts of uh, activities around the glory of God, but do we actually think about the glory of God? You know, what is it? Um, and it's one of those things that's very hard to define, actually, the glory of God. You go to the, uh, you go to the middle school uh, Christmas pageant. Thank goodness there are some schools that still have a Christmas pageant, but you go to a Christmas pageant and when the angels come, uh, the glory is there's a flicker of, there's a light bulb that they turn on and off. And that's the glory, the light behind the angels. But the glory of God, I was, it was interesting, I was listening to Al Mohler uh, the other day, just a few days ago actually. And I was working on this sermon, and he said, what is the glory of God? <laughs> so I said, well, this is a, a divine appointment. And he said, the glory of God is difficult to describe, but is it, a short way of thinking of it is the external manifestation of the internal truth. Yeah. The external manifestation of the internal truth, and the truth is the essence of who God is. That's what the glory is. It's the manifestation of who He is. And that's a pretty impressive thing because who God is, is bigger than we can comprehend. God is beyond our ability. We only know about God because he has revealed himself to us. We cannot discover God like Columbus discovered America. We can't discover God like somebody discovered penicillin. God is above and beyond. He is everywhere, but he cannot be found by human effort. We are separated from him by our sin. We are fallen creatures and limited creatures. And God shows himself to us. He reveals himself to us. And that's how we know him. And in this, once we know, then we begin to see that he is indeed beyond our, our ability to even imagine. 
and we call that glory. It's an important theme in the scripture. The Gospel of John is divided into two big parts. The first 12 chapters are, is the book of the signs, the miracles. And the second half of the book, 12 and to the end, is the book of, guess what? Glory. The book of glory. And in verse, or chapter 17, Verse 24, this is the high priestly prayer right before Jesus is arrested. He's about to go to the cross and he is praying for himself and he's praying for his disciples who are there on the earth left at the time and he's praying for all of the future believers. That would include you and me. In verse 24 he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And I want them to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. The glory of Jesus. I want them to see my glory. He is praying that you and I would see his glory. The glory that he has had as the second person of the Trinity since before the creation. Now interestingly, John, the author of that gospel, of course, the prayer was prayed before the gospel was written, but in chapter 1, because that was before the crucifixion, resurrection, but when the gospel was written, John, who heard that prayer, wrote in the first chapter of John, chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. And if we think about Dr. Moeller, the outward expression of the inward reality, what he is saying is we have seen who Jesus really is. You know, I was reading the other day in Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, the great hall of fame of faith, and it talks about people who have lived for God and who have been blessed by God. And he gives their names, and they're all names that we all know. He says, these men through faith, and faith is spiritual vision to see the truth. We see through faith that they, that through faith they conquered kingdoms, they administered justice, they gained what was promised, they shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the fury of the flames, they escaped the edge of the sword. They did all these marvelous things through faith. Faith. 
They routed armies. People, their women received back their dead. All by faith. Others, same paragraph. Others, by faith, they were tortured. And they refused to be released from prison. They faced jeers and mocking and floggings. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. Persecuted, mistreated. They lived in caves and holes in the ground and they were all commended for their faith. How did they do that? How did people who can build kingdoms and tear down kingdoms live by faith and not become so self-absorbed and so proud of their accomplishments that they drift away from God? Become proud of themselves. And how can people who are rejected by the world and how can people who lose everything and how can people who have absolutely nothing and all their dreams have been shattered and they're beaten and tortured and finally killed, how can they continue to live by faith and the love of God and not abandon the faith when everything goes wrong? How do you do that? How can human flesh, how can human beings like you and me, how can we endure the great blessings of success without drifting from God? And how can we endure the great curses of the wicked earth and the jeerings and the punishments that sometimes we have to endure and failures and losses without drifting away from the Lord? I would submit to you You do by grace, you have seen the glory. When you have seen the glory. Because the glory of God is greater than any kingdom you can build on this earth. It is so much greater than any kingdom you can build. It is greater than any kingdom you can conquer. It is greater than anything. And if you know God, if you have seen God, if you have been saved by the grace of God and he has opened your eyes, even though you see through a glass darkly, you know, you know the reality. You know the truth. And the truth is the glory of God is far beyond anything this world can offer. Likewise, when you suffer and you get that terrible diagnosis and your life's work, you have worked and, and studied and saved and made deals and, and built whatever you have, you have your dreams and then something happens and it does happen. And everything you have is gone. All of your friends who you thought were your friends don't return your calls. 
Everybody who treated you with great respect, don't, they don't have any time for you. You are at the bottom. You are forgotten. People laugh about you behind your back. How can you endure? How can you continue? How can you continue to love God who is sovereign over all things and has allowed this to happen? And he has, by the way. How can you continue to love him? I would submit to you because if you are saved, if you do know God, if by grace he has revealed even a small glimpse like a mustard seed of who he is, all the suffering, all the pain, all the rejection becomes insignificant when compared to the glory. When compared to the glory. Jesus prayed, Father, let them see my glory. If they see my glory, they will be with me forever. Because they will know who I am. This is the glory that we're talking about today. The essence, what is the glory? It is the essence of who God is. The glory of God is the essence of God, the truth of God. Who is God? He is glorious beyond our ability to comprehend. We know a little bit, we know a little bit about who God is. Again, this is something that we're going to keep learning about for a long time. We're going to keep learning about who God is for eternity because he is infinite. His glory is infinite. His power is infinite. But if we here on earth realize who he is, if we, really, if we can see his glory, then we, like those saints in the Bible, can press on. John, who wrote these words, he said his testimony, we have seen his glory. That explains it. How can I stand by when the great apostle Paul is beheaded and continue firm in the faith? How can I stand by when the great apostle Thomas is killed? How can I stand by when all of my brothers that we walk with Jesus and we ourselves heal the sick and raise the dead and yet every one of them is killed and I alone remain? How can I continue to write these gospels knowing that there are people out there who want to kill me? How can I do it? Because I've seen the glory. I know what's coming. The glory of who God is. I have seen it. And I know he is God. He has no rivals. And I am his. Whether they bring me in on a sedan chair into the crowds screaming my name and putting palm branches 
or whether they are putting me in prison or exiling me to the Isle of Patmos, nothing changes about the glory of God. I'm in his hand. What do we see? What do we know about the glory of God? We know it's powerful. God is powerful. Part of his glory is his power. How much power does he have? How much power does he have? Let me just say this. He is power. He doesn't have power. He is power. Anybody who has any power, where does it come from? The Soviet Union, Communist China, the Raleigh Police Force, whatever it is, where do they get their power? They get their power from God. Why do they exist? Because God wants them to exist. If God decides he did not want them to exist, what would happen to them? They would cease to exist in whom all things hold together. He created all things. He sustains all things. He is God. He is not a competitor in the field. He is not a, he's not like uh, uh, Cassius Clay over here and Joe Frazier over there. A hard fight. Now, he, we all know that God will win the fight. No, this is not it at all. God has no rivals. All of his rivals exist because he allows them to exist. The devil exists by God's pleasure. No one threatens God. No one pushes God. He does not wrestle. He decrees. He is God. He is powerful. We look at the heavens declare the glory of God. We sit here on this planet. We look up in the sky at night. What do you see? Stars and moon and brilliance and beauty. You know, we're part of the Milky Way galaxy. I'm talking about something I know absolutely nothing about now. But well, that's a galaxy as I understand it. It's not a planetary system with the sun and the planets that go around the sun. That's a solar system. But the solar system is part of a galaxy. And the galaxy is made up of lots of solar systems, like millions of solar systems. And we're in a galaxy. Do you know how many galaxies that there are? Well, let me answer that. No, you don't. Uh, because nobody does. But they estimate, listen to this, they estimate that there may be 200 billion billion galaxies. And recently, some of our scientist friends are agreeing, so that makes me feel better. Um, recently, with some of the more powerful instruments of examination, it may be a trillion galaxies, which tells me they don't really know, but there are a lot of them. Where did they come from? God. God. With one word. 
the glory, the glory, the power. When Jesus was on the earth, he was very limited. He was here. He was a man. And what did he do? He showed, he demonstrated all of his miracles were called signs. And his signs demonstrated that he had power over death. He has power over disease. He has power over blindness. He has power over deafness. He has power over lostness. He has power over leprosy. He has power over despair. He has power over nature. He has power over the grave. The glory. The glory. This is Jesus. Father, let them see my glory. Because they cannot know me until they see the glory. Because the glory is my essence. It is who I am. Great power, great holiness, purity, sinlessness, righteousness. You know, back in Exodus 19, Moses and the people had just left Egypt. And they'd come, across, they'd come across the Red Sea and they'd seen, speaking of power, by the way, but they were, they'd come across the Red Sea and he was getting them ready to receive the law. The law was going to come. And God told Moses to tell the people this. He said, the people, I want them to come to Mount Sinai where I'm going to be with you. But I want you to tell them this. They need to take three days to purify themselves and consecrate themselves and to think about who I am and what I've done. I want them to take three days and I want it to be very thorough because they're coming close to me. They're not going to come on the mountain where I am, but they're just coming close to me. And I am pure. I am holy. Exodus 19.6 says, I'm going to make this people a kingdom of priests. I'm going to make them a holy nation. Sounds like the New Testament, doesn't it? Yes. Answer, Yes. But he's talking about the Jews. They're going to be a pure people, and I want them to consecrate themselves, and I want them to remember my holiness, and I want them to do everything, even down to washing their clothes before they come to me. This is out in the desert. <laughs> I want them to wash their clothes. This is the holiness, the holiness of God without sin, without a hint of sin in him. He is pure. He hates sin. How much does he hate sin? 
cross up there tells you what God thinks of sin. He is holy, and that is part of his glory. The word glory in the Old Testament comes from the root weight, heaviness. There's nothing light or frivolous about the glory of God. Nothing. He is holy. He is righteous. He is powerful. And he is weighty. We must never forget that we know anything about him at all only by grace. We do not deserve his attention. We do not deserve his love. We do not deserve forgiveness. We do not deserve anything but justice. And the last thing we want is justice from a holy God. He does not give us justice. He gives us mercy and grace. And that is part of his glory. And also part of his glory is his love. How much does he love us? Christmas. We just had it. Christmas tells us that God loves us. Why? Because his only begotten son, who is part of the Holy Trinity in glory inexpressible, full of glory, glory that cannot be spoken. Glory that is completely self-sufficient. Glory that needs no one. It needs nothing. It is completely satisfied. God the Father sent his son, his only begotten son, to come into this fallen world. A world full of sin. Sin that he hates with a never-dying hatred, a burning hatred. He is a consuming fire, and he is at war and hates sin and will forever with a hatred we cannot imagine. It is a perfect, holy, righteous hatred. He sends his son into that world knowing full well That his son is to live a, will live a perfect life because he is God. But he will be tempted and assaulted because he is a man. And the world hates the light and loves the darkness. And he is light, therefore he will be hated. God knew that. 
Why did he do that? Why did he come to earth? Why did he become a man when he had, he was outside time. He was the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He was before time. He was after time. He created time. Without God, there is no time. He comes in and he has to wait until tomorrow to do something. He has to travel from here to there to be with someone. He limits himself. You know, Dr. Hogg told us, pretty profound, that before the creation, there was no space. There wasn't empty space. Everybody says, well, before there was an empty space. No, there wasn't. There was no space. I think the physicists will tell you that to have space, you have to have objects, something between the objects. And without the objects, there's no space. There's no space. So God created, before God created, there was no space. There was no time because time implies movement, requires movement. There's no time. So there's no before and after. There's no space. This is, tells us who God is. And Jesus comes into space and he comes into time and he takes on flesh and he gets hungry and he gets tired. He gets hot. He gets cold. He didn't have to do that. He didn't owe anybody anything. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? Because he loves his people. You and me. We were lost. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We were sinners and we love sin. As hideous as that is to say, it is the truth. He came to be one of us. This is what Christmas means. He came and lowered himself. He took on flesh. And the great God of the universe becomes a baby, as helpless as he can possibly be. That's love, and that's glory. But what else? He lives his entire life without sin, and then there comes a time when the hatred of the world can only take so much. The world doesn't want perfection. The world doesn't want love. The world doesn't want holiness. The world doesn't want salvation. Thank you very much. The world is in love with itself, and the, love is in, the world is in love with its own rules. I will do what I want to do. Thank you very much. I make rules for my life. 
God. That is the essence of man. Rebellion. I know better. I don't care. Right? And this great holy God. By the way, the person that says that, when they have breakfast every day, where does that breakfast come from? It's a gift from God. When they take a deep breath, where does that air come from? It comes from God. When their body does all the work and takes the oxygen out of the air and puts the oxygen in every cell of the body and every cell of the body is nourished and it takes uh, the poison out of the body. How does that work? How does that happen? God, he created all things and in him all things consist. He is all emphasize that first word, almighty, almighty. His enemies are totally dependent upon his mercy. And they continue to shake their fist with every breath that he gives them. This is his glory. He is not petty. He is not vindictive. He is not coming. He gives chance after chance. He gives mercy after mercy. He gives grace after grace. He lets them have eyes to see a little teeny tiny bit of his creation every night. He sees all these living trees and all these living things and all this growth and all this life. He lets everybody see it. The heavens declare his glory and people scoff and laugh and say, it's really all about me. <laughs> That's the world. You know who else that was? You. Me. John. Paul. Peter. every person that has lived since Adam. Jesus came into that world not just to show us how to live. That's really not why he came. He came because you are guilty and I am guilty of rebellion and blasphemy against a God who is so glorious we can't even imagine it. We can't speak about it. We can't even talk about it. We can talk around it, but his glory is inexpressible, incomprehensible. But he has come not just to be with us, not just to teach us, not just to show us, but he has come to pay a penalty For those who believe, he has come to take upon himself pure, spotless, holy, righteous, eternal, pure forever. He has taken upon himself your guilt, your rebellion, your stupidity, your arrogance. 
your wickedness, your selfishness. I will make my own laws, thank you very much. I will make my own rules, thank you very much. I am the captain of my fate, thank you very much. He has come to save you from that, from what that deserves. And what does it deserve? What does it deserve? You don't want to think about it. But let me tell you, it is as certain as the sunrise. It is as certain as the sunrise because it is the decree of God. Every man will stand before him and give an account. That's Easter. There's Christmas that he came, and then there's Easter that he died. He died, and that's glory. That's part of his glory. This one who is omnipotent, this one who is omniscient, this one who is Creator, holy, he gave himself, he gave himself to a very cruel death, paying a penalty that you owe, you owe. Let us never become blasé about that. Let us never take that for granted. That was an intentional act by the Almighty God to save you. And you could not save yourself. You didn't even know you needed a Savior. You thought you were pretty good. Most of the people in this room don't really need a whole lot, or so we think. Matthew 26, 53. Jesus is rebuking Peter. Peter's trying to stand between Jesus and the police that are coming to arrest him takes out the sword, remember? Jesus says, do you not think, or do you not know that I can call upon my father right now? Peter, don't do this. Do you not know that I can pray right now, ask the father, and he would send me 12 legions of angels. There are 50 or 100 men here and they've got sticks and clubs. I can have, I don't know how many are in a legion, a thousand maybe, 5,000. He can send me 12 legions of angels. I can have thousands and thousands and thousands of angels, any one of which can destroy the entire city of Rome much less this little mob right here. I'm coming on a mission to save you, Peter. Save you from your sin, Peter. I don't need your help. This is glory. This is the glory.
So, the question is, have we seen a glimpse of his glory ever? Do we even know what we're talking about this morning? Because if you see the glory of God, even, even a flicker of it, even through a glass darkly, if you see the glory, if you see the power, if you see the love, if you see the purity, the holiness, and the beauty, the truth of God, and I don't mean see it like a subject to be studied. I mean you see it. Because if you do see it, you will be changed forever. You cannot see it and remain the same. It is impossible because the glory of God is irresistible. If you see the glory of God, you know it's true. If you see the glory of God, you know you are not true. And you must change. You know it. And you know it whether you're at the top of the world or if you're living in a hole in the ground. No circumstance will ever change that knowledge because the glory of God is that glorious. The glory of God is that powerful. The glory of God is blinding. It is truth. It's not true. It is truth. It is goodness. It is beauty. It is perfection. It's power. It's love. It's holiness. It is without sin. And David's prayer becomes your prayer. As the deer pants after the water brook, so my soul pants after thee, O God. That's the story of your life after you see a glimpse of the glory of God. Just a glimpse. That becomes the gyroscope. That becomes the map. That becomes the goal. That becomes the purpose. That is why you're on this earth. That is why you live. To know God, to serve God, obey God. You hunger and thirst not after the things of this world anymore. That's fine if they come, but you hunger and thirst after righteousness. You long to be with Jesus, and just as Jesus, when he was praying in the garden for the joy set before him, he endured the cross because he knew the glory of God was going to come. 
and he would be back there with the Father, just like it was before the creation of the world. The glory of God was before him, not the horror of the cross. The cross was coming and he knew it. His back was going to be flayed open with whips and sticks. He knew it. He was going to be beaten with fists. He was going to be mocked and jeered. He knew it, but he went forward because he knew the glory. Do you know the glory? Do you? If you do, you know it. Let's pray. Our Father, by your grace we are here, by your love we are here, and we thank you that in your mercy, in your goodness, you have allowed your people who are called by your name to see a glimpse of your glory. Amen.